our scripture. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Christmas is wonderful, but Christmas is a problem. On the one hand, we have all this talk about love and light and peace on earth and all these Christmas carols and music about God and joy to the world, and it sounds really lovely. But on the other hand, um, when you really look into the darkness of this world, all the talk and the carols and the Christmas cheer can sound really cheap and insufficient. I read a story last week about a pastor who was recalling back to the very beginning of his ministry and one of the first funeral visits that he ever did. He was a brand new pastor, and he had to visit the family uh, of a man who had died in his car in his parking lot, and they didn't discover his body for a few days. And all of this was happening during Christmas time. And so the pastor says that as he went to the house and he knocked on the door, he was nervous because you never know what kind of grief is waiting for you on the other side of that door. He said this grief was raw, angry, and visceral. And when he walked into the house, the family was sitting on the floor, their eyes red and puffy. All the Christmas decorations had been pulled off the wall. There was tinsel balled up in a corner of the room. And he said... The house was cold, the tree was bare, Christmas had been exposed as a lie. When you really look at the darkness of this world, so often Christmas can feel like a lie. It's not enough because sentimentality is not enough. We need something more to face the darkness of this world. We need something more than a Mariah Carey Christmas and Hallmark greeting cards. And even if you want to hold on to Jesus as the foundation of Christmas, even that can get sentimentalized, which means that, that in order to face the darkness, we need something more than images of baby Jesus lying on the straw surrounded by fluffy farm animals. This passage Pamela just read for us shows us that something more that we need to face the darkness of this world, but it's really counterintuitive. Because the answer to the darkness is not ignoring the darkness or 
fighting the darkness or capitulating to the darkness. The real answer is looking deeper into the darkness. What does that mean? And how can that really help us find that something more we need to face the darkness of the world? Well, let's take a look at this passage and just see two things very simple. What happened and what does it mean? Okay? What happened here and what does it mean for us personally? Okay? First, what happened? And let's remember the backstory. Uh, Mary is a young Jewish girl who was engaged to be married. But before the wedding happened, an angel came and told her that the Holy Spirit of God is going to come upon her. She's going to conceive a child in her womb, and that that child named Jesus is going to be the long-awaited Messiah of Israel. Because you see, for centuries, Israel had been waiting on a promise God had made that one day he was going to send a Messiah or a king who would rescue them from evil and darkness and bring about a new world where there was no more evil, suffering, or death, but instead a world of love, wholeness, peace, beauty, and joy. And so here's Mary, and she goes into the home of her cousin Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth is an old woman, and she had been barren her whole life, but the same angel came to her husband and told them, you are going to have a son, and that son is going to end up being John the Baptist, whose job it is to announce the Messiah to the whole world. So here's Mary. She walks into the house and greets her cousin Elizabeth, who's six months pregnant with John the Baptist at this point. And that's when something amazing happens. But here's why it's so amazing. Think about where Mary's at at this point in her life. You remember this angel comes to her and says, you're going to have a child without a husband. (laughs) And she responds with these very famous words, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, those are famous words, but think about it. She does not say, oh God, this is just what I wanted. I'm so excited. She says, God, if this is what you want, okay. Now, is she obedient? Yes. Is she committed and devoted and faithful? Absolutely. But is she joyful? Not so much, which makes sense because as an unwed mother in that culture, Mary was facing a life of poverty, scorn, humiliation, rejection, and humiliation. She was facing a very dark life. But as soon as she greets Elizabeth, as soon as the words come out of her mouth, it sparks uh, sparks a virtual wildfire of joy. Because what happens is John the Baptist, little baby John the Baptist, leaps for joy in Elizabeth's womb, and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, tells us what this means. She says, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now, this would have blown Mary away for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, Elizabeth is an older woman, and she's the wife of a priest, Zechariah. Mary is a younger woman, and she's a social nobody. So for this older, respected woman in the community to treat Mary with a reverence and a dignity like this, Mary would never have experienced anything like this before. Mary would have been thinking, who am I to set foot in your house, O Elizabeth? And Elizabeth was saying, oh no, Mary, it's the other way around. Who am I that I should have you set foot in my house? But even more than that, more than what Elizabeth said to Mary, it was what Elizabeth said about Jesus that was especially amazing. 
Because Elizabeth said, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth is saying, Mary, the Lord sent you to me, but you're also the mother of my Lord. Do you hear what she's saying? Mary, the Lord who filled your womb is also the Lord in your womb. In other words, not only did the Lord send Jesus, the Lord is Jesus. What? This is where the thunderclap breaks. This is where the fire ignites, and all of a sudden, everybody's bursting out into song. Elizabeth breaks out into song. Mary breaks out into song. All of a sudden, all of the darkness is transformed into joy. How? Well, it all begins with John the Baptist, this little baby who's barely more than a fetus himself, leaping for joy in Elizabeth's womb. Now, remember, John the Baptist, he was destined to be a prophet, right? John the Baptist's whole purpose in life is to be somebody who announces the coming of the Messiah, Jesus, into the world. You realize this is his first act of prophetic ministry. (laughs) In fact, I love the way the old King James Version translates this passage. It says that when Mary walked into the house, that she saluted Elizabeth. I salute thee. You realize what John the Baptist is doing here. When he recognizes Jesus, he's saluting Jesus. I salute thee. He recognizes who Jesus is. But even more than that, and here's the thing I really want us to grab a hold of tonight, it's not just that he recognizes who Jesus is, he recognizes where Jesus is. Because think about it, what is a womb? Yes, it's a place of life and growth and fertility, but a womb is also a dark place. It's also a dark place. John is looking into the darkness of Mary's womb, and he sees the light of Jesus there at work in the midst of the darkness of the womb. Now, yes, do you realize what this means? Because darkness is an image of fear and despair and hopelessness and evil. Darkness is a place of no possibilities, and the ultimate example of that would be a tomb the ultimate dark place where there are no possibilities. But not all darkness is the same. If a tomb is a dark place of no possibilities, a womb is a dark place of new possibilities. It's a waiting kind of a place. There's a theologian, poet, priest, pipe smoker, rock musician, motorcycle enthusiast named Malcolm Geit. He is a tremendous poet and scholar. Um, He calls this a wombing darkness, W-O-M-B-I-N-G, a wombing darkness. It's still a place of darkness, but it's a waiting wombing darkness. It's a place where, where life is at work. And there is no greater example of this than the womb of Mary, where Jesus waited in darkness for nine months. So if, if a tomb is a, is a place of no possibilities where, where, um, where nothing is happening, a womb is a place of new possibilities where everything can happen. So in fact, Malcolm Geit wrote a poem about this called O Emmanuel, and he begins it like this. He says, O come, O come, and be our God with us. That's what Emmanuel means, literally, God with us. But then he says, and make a womb of all this wounded world and make a womb of all this wounded, dark, hopeless, despairing, evil world. In other words, just as the womb of Mary was a dark place where nonetheless God is present and God is active, so also this world 
is a dark place where nonetheless God is present and God is at work. But here's the problem. When you really look at the darkness of this world, it's hard to believe that. Which is why, did you notice the very last thing that Elizabeth said to Mary? She says, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary, you believe that even in the midst of this darkness of the world, that what God has said to you is going to come true, that Jesus is coming and that he's going to do something about the darkness of this world, and that even in the midst of the darkness, God is at work. Mary, you believe, but notice Elizabeth doesn't say, Mary, blessed are you for believing this. She said, Mary, blessed is she who believed. Third person, that means blessed is anyone who believes that God will fulfill his promise. Now, if this is true, and if you're here this evening, and I understand maybe you came at the invitation or maybe even the, the compulsion of your family, maybe you don't want to be here. Maybe you're spiritually curious or spiritually unconvinced, or maybe you're even spiritually skeptical. But, but if all of this is true, I, I want to invite you to engage for just a moment in a willing suspension of disbelief, and, and for us all to think about together, what would all of this mean for us our lives, practically speaking, if this was true. That leads to our second point. We've just seen what happened here. But secondly, what does all of this mean for our lives? Well, let me just suggest to you three possibilities by way of application. What this means is that we should pay attention to the kicks, we should look into the darkness, and we should live out the light. Let me explain what those mean. First, we pay attention to the kicks. What, basically what this means, and especially, again, if you're spiritually unconvinced or skeptical, this is simply a way of, of coming awake to the ways, letting God wake us up to the reality of his presence in this world. How, what, what are the things in this world that he's using to wake us up to his presence in this world? Because remember, all of this started with little baby John the Baptist kicking in, Mary, in Elizabeth's womb. And of course, from a scientific standpoint, we could say, well, this is nothing more than a fetal kick. Totally random, perfectly ordinary, nothing to see here, folks. Keep moving. And yet, with the help of the Holy Spirit, this kick is a way of saying, Elizabeth, wake up. Jesus is here. God just walked into your house. <laughs> uh, something perfectly ordinary, a fetal kick is God's way of waking Elizabeth up to the reality of God's presence in this world. In the same way, and I don't know what it would be for you, but how, what are the ordinary things in your life that God might be trying to use to wake you up to the presence of his reality in this world? Maybe it's a, an a apparently random comment from a stranger in the supermarket. Maybe it's that unhoused person standing on the side of the road. Maybe it's the rain tapping against your window. I don't know what it might be for you, but paying attention to the kicks means paying attention to the ways that God is trying to wake you up to the reality of his presence in this world. But secondly, this means that we look into the darkness. We look into the darkness because when, when she was listening to this kick, Elizabeth was looking into the darkness of Mary's womb and seeing the light of Jesus there at work in the midst of the darkness because that's why Jesus came, to bring the presence and the action of God to be at work in the darkness of this world and, I'm sorry to say, into the darkness of your own heart. Because where do we think all the darkness in this world actually comes from? 
Our culture trains us to, to look at the world around us and see all of the darkness out there. But it's very difficult for us to look inside and see all of the darkness in here. In fact, just like Elizabeth, we need the help of the Holy Spirit to do this. To, to look inside our hearts and see the darkness there. There's an ancient spiritual practice known as solitude and silence. It's, in many ways, it's a way of entering into darkness. And all of the greatest Christians throughout history, many of them have pointed out um, that, that one of the main things that happens in the practice of solitude and silence is that um, you come to a greater awareness of yourself, and especially you begin to come to a greater awareness of the darkness that's inside your own heart. You become more aware. You, you begin to get a glimpse of your own selfishness, cruelty, pride, self-centeredness, self-absorption, your need for attention, all the darkness inside of our own hearts. The more we enter into this practice of darkness, solitude, and silence, we become aware of the darkness in our hearts. Many of you may have heard the story of Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He was a Russian activist who was unjustly imprisoned in the Gulag, which was a horribly evil and infamous Russian prison camp. But the amazing thing about Solzhenitsyn's story is that while he was there in the darkness of that prison camp, that instead of teaching him to divide the world up into the good people over here and the evil people over there, instead, the darkness of that place taught him to look into the darkness of his own heart. So that he ended up writing very famously that the line dividing good and evil cuts through every human heart that we all have darkness inside of our hearts. Where do we think the darkness in this world comes from? There's darkness in the world because there's darkness in us. Now, our instinct is to want to look away from that. But it is precisely in the darkness that Jesus is most at work. If we don't look into the darkness, then, then we won't see Jesus. But if we pay attention to the kicks, and if we look deeper into the darkness, not just of the world, but even of our own hearts, then what we see is Jesus is at work there in the waiting, wombing darkness of our own lives, transforming our lives and delivering us from the darkness. Because Mary's womb, in many ways, was itself a kind of a kick, pointing us to the ultimate darkness of the cross where Jesus overcame the darkness of the world. Because on the cross, Jesus plunged himself into the festering, murky heart of darkness itself. In fact, all of the historical accounts tell us that when Jesus was crucified for three hours, there was darkness over the face of the earth, a literal physical darkness. And that that darkness was itself a kind of a kick, pointing us to the reality of what Jesus was doing on the cross, that he was entering, plunging himself into the heart of our darkness in order to deliver us from the darkness. There's another poet named Lucy Shaw who wrote a poem called Mary's Song. She imagines Mary contemplating this person. Who is it that's in my womb? And what has he come here to do? And so she envisions Mary saying that Jesus was nailed to my poor planet, caught that I might be free, blind in my womb to know my darkness ended, brought to this birth for me to be newborn and for him to see me mended, I must see him torn. Dear ones, not all darkness is the same. There is a darkness of no possibilities, but there is also a darkness of new possibilities because Jesus turns tombs into wombs. But the only way he could do it 
was to go into the tomb himself in order to bring you and me and all of us out. So if we're paying attention to the kicks and we're looking into the darkness, then the last thing we do is this. It means that we live out the light. And here's what I mean by this. It's really pretty simple. All this means is it's just another way of saying that you become a kick in the life of someone else. You become something pointing to the light of Jesus in the midst of a dark place, helping them, possibly only by the help of the Holy Spirit, to wake up to the reality of God present and at work in the midst of the darkness. One of the most beautiful pictures I've ever seen of this recently was a video of a flash mob uh, playing the Beatles song, Here Comes the Sun, in the middle of an unemployment office in Madrid, Spain. You can actually um, find this pretty easily on the internet. Think about what's happening in an unemployment office. It's a pretty dark place. You've got people waiting around, and this is a scene from the video, waiting around in this place, quiet. Think about the questions that are going through your mind. How am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to support my family? Will I even have some place to live next week? An unemployment office is a dark place. But then, as the camera's panning around, a young woman stands up, holds an oboe to her lips, and, and begins to play the, those familiar notes, And all of a sudden, other musicians stand up and join in. A bassoon, a violin, a flute. And then they all start singing together. Little darling, it's been a long, cold, lonely winter. But here comes the sun. Now, think about where they are. They're in the middle of a very dark place. And I guarantee you, playing a song in the middle of that place was not changing anybody's financial situation. But in a deeper, more transformative way, it changed everything. So that as the camera's looking around at the people there, their whole being is transfigured by what's happening around them. In fact, the camera alights on one woman who looks in and she's smiling at the camera, but you can see there's tears just about to fall from her eyes. It's a sadness, but it's a smiling sadness because everything is different because there is light here. And even though they're not changing the circumstances, singing that song is like a protest. It's light shining in the darkness. They're letting the light shine out into the world and it changes everyone, everything. Dear ones, Jesus turns tombs into wombs. He is that something more that we need to face the darkness of this world. So I encourage and invite you this morning, pay attention to the kicks. How is God at work trying to wake you up to the reality of his presence in this world? Look into the darkness, not just of this world, but of your own hearts, that we might come face to face with the darkness in our own lives. But as we do that, as we look into the darkness, see Jesus there transforming the darkness, at work in the darkness, transfiguring your life and turning you into a kick a light in the life of someone else in the world around you, that they might come to see and know the light of this Jesus who turns tombs into wombs and is at work in the midst of darkness. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, let's pray. Father, we praise you that you don't stay far, that you don't stay distant, that not only did you create this world, in love. Not only did you create this world with a vision for love, peace, wholeness, beauty, and joy, but you are committed to fulfilling your promise. Lord, we live in a dark world, 
It's hard to believe. It's hard to see. We pray this, this evening, this Christmas Eve, that you would renew our hearts, that you would help us to pay attention to the kicks that you send throughout our life to wake up to the reality of your presence in this world in whatever way you're trying to wake us up. Lord, help us to look into the darkness of our own lives. Help us to get still with you, quiet with you, to listen for you. And Lord, as we do this, we pray that you would transform our lives, our darkness, that you would help us to see our darkness for what it is, a wombing darkness, if we're willing to allow Jesus to be at work in the midst of our darkness. And as we do that, Lord, turn us into a light that we might live out in this world, that we might become a kick in the life of someone else in this world. Lord, we praise you this night. Thank you for sending Jesus. And we pray all of these things in his name. Amen.